Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 99 of the Galen Trombley Show. I have Adam Scarf here, and Adam is the owner of 518 Gadget Fixes, and then probably a guy that people have seen around town somewhat. You're an import, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so give us a background. People do not know who you are. Give them a quick little recap of okay. elevator so, pitch, like yeah, where yeah. you came from. Uh, born and raised in Malone, New York. Uh, transferred here when I went to started university, 2005. Uh, started off at Clinton, transferred over to Plattsburgh. And uh, have been here ever since. So why? I mean, you lifelong resident of Malone. Correct. Did you go to Franklin Academy? Yeah, graduated there. Did uh, so? What drew you to Plattsburgh? Was it just purely the college? So actually, it was my major. Um, major also proximity. Uh, I was just far enough to be away, but yet still close enough to go home on weekends, visit family, friends. So and uh, yeah. s- siblings, anything? Yeah. So I have twin sisters. They oh. are older than I am, so they're thirty nine. And uh, I have a younger brother who is, what am I, 33? So he's 31. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the, I think the first time I knew you, at least in the area, was like a soccer guy. Because, mm-hmm. again, the soccer, North Country soccer is a very small-knit group of people. Um, this is before you were refing. I think, I don't know how I, something, you maybe were, I think we coached against each other at one point. But I think I knew of you prior to that. And then, again, it's a small circle, so... When did you get into soccer and then obviously kind of expand on that? Because you're pretty involved now in certain... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so soccer pretty much started in high school. We actually, uh, with some influence there, we started refereeing our youth organizations. Uh, so started off officiating, played at Clinton for the two years, um, and then I got into officiating pretty much right after that. So I'd say like 2009 was my initial year into Section 7 soccer officiating, and uh and just have kind of worked my way up through the ranks. Uh, did you ref before you coached, or did you coach around the same time? Refed prior to coaching. Okay. I coached in 2013, and then 2015 for, well, 13 for Peru High School, and then 15 for Beekman Town. But I was doing training for Shazy. So with through Connor Morse, his parents, yeah. Joe Morse, yeah. that's where I believe you and I became acquainted through Sam and, and that family. Yeah, yeah, great family. And uh, so... So soccer, um, did you did you ref when you were coaching too? Did you kind of double dip? Yeah, I did. You did the Randy Lozier yeah. method? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I got I got to get Randy on this because I think you absolutely I don't have should. enough time. But I meaning this could probably be a ten hour podcast with Randy. Absolutely, it'd be great though. You would laugh hard. Yeah. I don't think I'd get a word in, but I'd be crying laughing the whole absolutely. time. So absolutely. So how how was that refing and coaching? It was uh, it was okay. I mean, obviously my my refing schedule was limited. Um, just to more or less stay active with it. And uh, uh, coaching was the priority at that time. And I was refing. Randy is actually the one who got me into the coaching uh, that year at Beekman Town. Um, he was taking care of the modified. Uh, I ended up with JV. And um, so it was kind of, it was cool. We piggybacked off from each other. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the, the one thing that 
I mean, I, you, you ref plenty of my games when I was playing and now obviously you're doing more. Like the, the thing with refing, when you start to see it from a coaching standpoint, at least for me, is it's not easy. You know, from because the game's so fast and you're like on your or like basically on your toes the whole time. The the fact that I was always a ref or I was always a coach that I never I don't think ever got in an argument with an official because one I'm never going to change the call ever and then two there's you got to give them the benefit of the doubt like they're much better trained than I am to see something even if you might miss a call it's humans you know but mm-hmm. I always laugh when you know coaches like berate the referees like it's or the players get mad I'm like listen like at the end of the game my thing that kills me is typically from parents will walk out the field and complain that the refs cost the game and I'm like listen I said you mean the 15 shots that your kids like our team didn't score on net they hit over the bar or something if they would put it on frame they might have scored so I always laugh that it's like such a small subset of the game that people focus on too much when I think a lot of I, I don't think officiating plays a big role in the outcome of, of sports. You could argue a couple years ago, was it the Saints? They got basically boned on a play when the guy threw it right, and it was, I think, along with the rest of America, that it was a pass interference call, and the ref never called it. You could argue that, but then again, you could play that whole game back, and there was opportunities that they never should have been in that position. So like, what's your feeling, I guess, being on both sides of like seeing it as a, a ref, seeing it as a coach, seeing it as a fan, seeing it as a player back in the day? Yeah, it's it's always interesting to kind of weigh those things when I am a spectator versus a referee versus a coach. And all three of those uh, situations, I might view it differently. But the biggest thing that I think plays a role is one, obviously knowledge, right? Um, you have to kind of assume that as a referee, you are out there and that you have the most knowledge of the game. That isn't going to be true at all times, Mm -hmm. but it might be true and hopefully is true most of the time. So you have to kind of understand that or think that you understand the game better than most of the people, specifically fans. It's always interesting to to hear what they have to say. And, you know, you just smile under your breath kind of thing. There are some coaches that, you know, when they they may not say much, but when they do say something, you know what? It might actually be something that crosses your mind and bring up a valid point because they know the game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's always interesting. And, and when I'm standing with friends or family, whatever, and watching soccer games, they'll always look to me, right? And be like, what'd you think of that? And the most, the most, I don't know, highly controversial, I think, are handballs. Handballs are, they're very insignificant yeah. most of the time, but they're the ones that most fans or everybody who sees the ball touch a hand is going to yell handball handball and as as a player and and a coach you understand the difference um but you know there are four critical factors that what deem a handball handball the uh so i had a handball and i don't think anybody state championship game my senior year ball rolls up i was playing defense the ball came and had like a weird hop. I was going to trap and it kind of popped up on me. And then when I went to put my foot down, it kind of skimmed off the top of my foot and came straight up in the air, hit my hand at my side, hit my hand and dropped straight back down on the ground and I cleared it away. One, there was nobody even near me. It was kind of like the closest guy might have been 15 yards, 20, 10 yards running at me. And even had I not missed, I would have just shielded it and kicked it away. So right. the refs never called it. But like I was, ner- I'm like it definitely hit my hand. Obviously, it wasn't intentional or it wasn't a play that was going to affect the game. But I guarantee. But then the same thing. Like the other crowd was like handball, and I'm like, what? Well, I did. I did. Like I did technically hit my hand, but it was not. 
because it's always like there's the thing with uh, officiating. I thought you were going to say offsides because offsides is always one that's for sure. It's there's a lot to offsides. It's a simple thing, but there's a lot to it. Um, I always look at plays like that again, depending on positioning. Obviously, where you're making the call. But the other thing is, you said knowing sports. The refs that know the game very well know the nuances of the game. And yes, it hit my hand, but was it going to affect anything? No. So we're not going to give a penalty shot to the other team if this wasn't like it wasn't like I put my hand down to trap the ball was in or stuck my arm out to knock it away. So I find there's, there's some very good offici- officials. Two of my favorites when we started going through was you and Jeff uh, Norton because you guys had played you know played it, but you guys yeah. understood the game, and you guys kind of rose fairly quickly to like the varsity level but it had to do with the knowledge base and you guys are both very reasonable people and same thing with jeff he's he's a guy that he could explain his position very well but he again he's it's thoughtful it's not like he just like made a decision right we've had some officials that again i didn't get all over them but some of them were just very black and white like they hit their hand calling it i'm like well or you know like a play on kind of situation like some guys are very good on that and some of them be like no he got tripped i'm like yeah but He's got 50 yards and he's got control of the ball. Just let him run. Like, we can manage. always bring the call back. So That's right. um, there, there's always some like weird nuances of the game that I find that the, the good officials are the ones that, like you said, typically grow up playing the sport. Like I don't know if I could be a good official and say like hockey. Like I learned the game, but I've never really played it. So I don't understand it as well as soccer or even basketball or baseball. So right. do you, you coach anything else or ref anything else? Yeah. So I do basketball. Um, Still? Yep. Okay. Yep. So basketball, I started off doing the same year I started with soccer out here. I started doing softball, really enjoy softball. Um, I, you know, I had a good mentor. Jim Varon was a great mentor with softball. Is this uh, high school softball? Correct. Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know if it was like slow pitch or things like, or like done all, I've done all of that back yeah. home and around here a little bit, but mostly when I reference officiating out here, it's mostly to do with high school mm-hmm. and college now. But yeah, it, it softball's a lot of fun. The games can go really long. And uh, and me personally, I was starting to get busier and busier. So I just decided, I was like, you know what? I need a season off. Yeah. And uh, the springtime was kind of my season. Still doing soccer. Yeah. You know, CYO, uh, excuse me, CYO and AAU basketball as well. So just to try and fit softball in there too. It was tough. So you pretty much ref almost the entire season or yeah. year. Yeah, between indoor, outdoor, we have outdoor co-ed that we just finished. We yeah. now have indoor co-ed that's coming up uh, starting in two weeks. Or do you ref or just play? Both, yeah. So, so I do both. On, how's on the playing going? But I am not <laughs> young anymore. You're 33, not 23, right? <laughs> I, I am 33. <laughs> the first game, we had two games back-to-back. 50-minute games, but, you know, as players, I threw together these teams. So yeah. I was like... I put it up on Facebook. I said, if anybody wants to play, we were struggling to get teams in. Yeah. And uh, so I felt like I could round up enough people. Well, we had enough for two teams. Mm-hmm. So that's when we went and, you know, went and got some swag and, and got jerseys, put these teams together. It was actually really cool because a lot of people who lived unique lives or different lives who never knew each other, we all came together and became friends. So it was really cool. Um, we were the worst two teams in the league, but we all had a great time. And... Uh, we were playing three games in a night, and oh, holy... Was this indoor or outdoor? This is outdoor. Okay. So it's a full field, man. Full field, seven players on the field. You guys play at Bailey? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bailey Rangers. Or a Penfield Park. Penfield yeah, Park, yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of fun, but that night that we had three games, I ran 15 miles. <laughs> and, you know, I tracked it on my watch. It was... And for someone who's... 
I'm not, I don't really, yeah. I'm not a gym goer per se. Like I go, I try, but I'm not diehard. I, f- I find the hardest thing about when I was running wasn't necessarily like when I was playing soccer, it wasn't like my, like the breathing aspect. Like I was fine. I could run up and down the field all day. The problem was my damn like knees were hurting. And like you start, cause again, if, even if you're working out, you're not doing the, the cutting like you would in soccer. Cause a lot of it's just right. that quick reaction. And I played, I think, I think it was co-ed indoor probably like three years ago it was before i oh i might have had my son at the time but i think it was three and i just remember number one the games were nine and ten o'clock at night mm-hmm. and i'm like okay i'm not doing this because i literally would get home and it's like 8 30 i'm like i gotta run out to the crate now and play a game or even worse it's like 9 15 and i gotta leave to go play right and then it was kind of fun when you were there but i'd get home and be jacked up it'd be 11 30 mm-hmm. at night and i'm wide awake and i'm like i'm not going to bed till two and then it got to the point where some of the players were respectful, meaning like, hey, we're all in our late 20s, early 30s. We got to go to work tomorrow. Like some guys are like, I don't even have health care. I'm like, if you got like, dude, I wouldn't be getting in this league if you don't have health care, man. Because like, right. but I, I remember finishing the game and I hadn't worn cleats in years and my feet were bleeding and it was bad. I had, I ended up the rest of the season. Oh, I didn't play much more. I only played like probably three or four more games. I had to like tape my my feet like my toes and stuff because right. they're just there's so much they're just blisters and it just the stuff that you don't re, like the amount of soccer i played as a kid hours and hours and hours and then now it feels so foreign to me like i can still juggle the ball and i play with my kid and stuff but like to go out and play a game i'm like oh, i just you just don't it's been 10 years since i've really played it and it's like it just seems like a world of like a year's away luckily coaching helps because you're right. you're kicking a ball and shooting right. and stuff but it's not the same as running around and playing. Mm-hmm. So I don't. So are you still? I mean, you've been playing all the way through, right? Like every year you play for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely I will play. Uh, how much I play, obviously, with my work schedule and stuff, and uh, but I try to manipulate it. Uh, yeah, I get a few games in every session, um, but absolutely, like you said, you know, my ankles. It, because as you said, it when you're cutting, when you're making all these moves, your mind doesn't go. No, right, like mind sharper. Yeah, like your mind is telling you, okay, you have to do this, and then your body tries to execute that. And I'm like three steps behind these 22 year old kids who are running. I'm like, wow, okay, Adam, it's not there anymore. We, we played. Uh, I think we played in the game. Was it? Was Alex? Alex Price. Price. Yeah. He's very good player, and yeah. one of the fastest players I've ever seen. Okay. And I remember him playing. I'm just, I'm done. Like this yeah. guy, this kid's running circles around me, and he's not tired. And then mm-hmm. the last minute of the game, he's not tired. And of course, we're swapping out with our other, you know, thirty something year olds. Like, okay, man, come, like, give me a break. Can't stay up with this kid. But um, no, it's fun. I love soccer, but I think I'm excited to go watch soccer now. I'm kind right. of at the point where like I'm, I'm good to be on the sideline. My kids go through. I'll be pumped to watch them play. But and then. Well, Gina is now like two. She's basically two knees short of a good soccer player right now. So she's right. she, she's working on that. But she, uh, yeah, she hasn't played much soccer in a while. So I'm excited, and I hope I'm still around the area and all that when your kids grow up to play because my, they have been blessed with solid genetics on both ends. Well, on both sides. well, it's my, I got hopefully like mentally I was pretty good in soccer. Physically, I would say I was like average or slightly above. Where Gina was obviously good. So um, hopefully we can take her skill level. My son's already kicked in the soccer ball very oh, I've well. Seen him. Yeah. I, I've and I'm seen like him. keep keep doing that but lefty. Yeah. He's a lefty. So, yeah. which is good. I'm like, "Hey, if you're left-footed, we can work with that." Um so other question I want to ask you. We just went how was skydiving? Dude, awesome. 
I would never do it, but I want to hear your... Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, you, you told me about it. I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. Yeah, it is amazing. I'm absolutely going to do it again. Um, and I think I might have told you as well. I really want to try to get... I don't know what it, whether it's called certified or how this process begins. It was a real quick conversation I had with the fellow who, who took me. But um, you go back and you have to get a certain amount of jumps, etc. Uh, to become certified to go on your own. The next time that I can go, which I was very surprised to hear this, you can actually jump by yourself. But what they do is you have like a carabiner that's attached inside the plane with a rope that automatically pulls your chute. So you stand out and then you free fall on your own. But as soon as you get however long that rope is, 20, 30 feet out, it pulls your chute for you. Okay. So you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, but yeah, then you're then you're going down on your own, landing on your own. How how fast is how long do you free fall and what's what's roughly the speed on that okay so uh and like how high up in the sky are you right so different with if you're going by yourself on that second time versus going tandem with a professional right so if you're going with tandem with a professional you go up to ten thousand five hundred feet so that you know two miles in the sky um you jump you free fall for approximately 30 seconds it all kind of went by really quick um so you're free falling for that. What happens is they attach a, they actually let go of a, a small parachute, you know, probably like three feet, whatever, um, that slows you down. Like a little you know? bit of a drag. Exactly. It's a drag chute um, because you'd be traveling at like 240 miles per hour with that amount of weight. And that's just that's not. nuts. So it slows you down to approximately 120 miles per hour. So you do your free fall when you get to, so you free fall for approximately 4,000 to 4,500 feet, if I remember correctly. Wow. And then from 6,000 feet, you are parachuting down. And it's, it's honestly, it's majestic, man. Especially when we went, it was prime autumn. Uh, you just got to see everything from up there. How long's the, how long's the parachute ride down? About 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, oh, I, geez. Think, I, I was thinking like three minutes, four minutes. No, I want to say that's crazy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say at least ten minutes. That's that's yeah. great. Yeah, it took long, but it takes longer to get up to that altitude. It takes yeah. about twenty five minutes to get up there in a plane, and on the way up, I had a fellow who he went for his second time, and he did what I just explained by himself. So we dropped him at four thousand feet. So at four thousand, he jumped out by himself. It pulled his chute for him, and then he he went down. So what is like the thought process when you're? Were you nervous or were you pumped? So. In the plane and everything, I was not nervous. Um, you know, at brief moments, I was kind of like, holy crap, I'm going to do this. All yeah. right. Let's yeah. just pray nothing goes wrong, you know. But statistically, yeah. it, you it's, know, it's more dangerous to drive down the road every day. Mm-hmm. So um, the only time that I was nervous or you have those moments when panic sets in, right? And you try to offset that. You just try to overpower it with mental thought and it was tough for me when I jumped out of the plane. I don't even want to say this because I don't want to deter anyone if they're <laughs> listening to this. But I struggled to breathe. I'm a mouth breather. My, yeah. my nose is narrow, so I can't breathe well through my nose. Yep. So when I jumped out, you have these goggles on because otherwise your eyes would be watering. And I'm trying to catch my breath because we did a front flip as well, which was cool. I asked him to do that, so we did a front flip wow. out. And then we're free falling, and you have to kind of kick your head back Put your hands out to your side and then kick your, he said, try to kick me in the butt with your heels. Is gotcha. Yep. Yeah, you picture that. So that's what I'm doing. And then he'll, 
he'll give you the thumbs up and that means you can kind of just move your hands and have fun as they call it. You're good to go, everything's stable. And then he'll tap you on the back and that indicates that you've got to pull your, your parachute cord. So in this process, and then of course, I had paid for the uh, video camera. So this guy is mm. next to us videotaping the whole thing and he's like, hey, what's up, how you doing? So he's already, he just flies down ahead of you. That's another guy. And then I'm strapped onto a guy. That's okay. crazy. So as this is all happening, as he starts to come in and, and he's getting video footage, you can see me like, you know, I'm breathing deeply trying to catch my breath because I couldn't. So that's the only time that panic set in for about five to 10 seconds. Yeah. And then once I like, okay, adjusted. Yeah. And the same thing happened when I scuba dived and the same thing happened. I, I had that panic. You have to kind of transition and learn how to breathe in areas where there's a lot less oxygen way up high and uh yeah so it was pretty cool so how when you go you went scuba diving how how deep do you go in scuba diving uh we only went to 20 feet okay so your first time they really tell you not to go any deeper than that um but yeah, yeah 20 feet so are you just like an adrenaline junkie or is this just something you've always wanted to do i would not define myself okay. as an adrenaline junkie <laughs> but i am absolutely about conquering fears or doing things that uh will test my my fears i guess I yeah look like mental kind of yeah. fortitude kind of yeah, thing it's, absolutely. Was, so was height of a fear or just jumping out of a plane i haven't had a real fear of jumping out of a plane or heights but you know i realized the danger in it yeah so um yeah there are only so many things in life that can really kind of give you that rush a jolt. you know so my sister did it and she did the same thing she loved it and she said i'm definitely going back everybody that's done it said they love it i don't know maybe i'll do it but it's just one of those things that i'm like i don't think i get i'll get enough maybe i could be totally wrong never done it but i don't think i'm gonna i don't think the payoff for me doing it was worse than the negative which i know the chance that anything goes wrong is very limited but i'm like i don't know if i'm really seeking the enjoyment of jumping out of a plane, like it doesn't get me excited to go do that. So I'm like, ah, eh, I'm okay. If I really wanted to, I would. Right. Um, it's not really the it's not really the fear of of jumping out because I'm like, if there's a guy next to me, he's got he's got a pretty good vested interest in us getting safely to the ground. So I'm okay with that aspect. It's just like I don't I don't really need to go jump out of a plane. But two, two parts to this. So I think when you and I were discussing this, the thing that also concerned you is you have a family. You know? Yeah. So I think that those thought processes tend to change when that happens. I'm, I, I don't have anybody. I, 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 well, I told Gina about, I wanted to go up. There's a guy I know that said, listen, I can take you up in like a private plane and you can learn how to fly. Like basically you go up and he helps you fly. It's kind of like doing this thing with a tandem. Yeah. And I'm like, I would love to do that. I've always wanted to fly a plane. And I didn't think I could because I'm colorblind. So I'm like, okay, this would be kind of cool. So I'm like excited. Told Gina about it. She's like, no. And I'm like, well, it'd be fine. She goes, no, you're not doing it. Like you're just not... And I'm like, well, it's, I'm like, again, I think it's safe, but of course she's her, you know, and it might be a small thing, but like, it's just one of those deals. Is it really, what are you going to get out of it? Like you can go do something else that's fun. It may not be right. that, that thing, but it's still fun. And you're not going to put any risk at, um, of danger. So she's got a point, but then part of it's like, I don't, I think it'd be okay, but I get it. Like when I have kids and I am more cautious, especially when they're younger, I think I'll be a little more daring when I get older, just because mm -hmm. you know, like I said, you, you, you're more important to other people than yourself really at this point in time. So right. it's, so I kind of take that responsibility, but um, no, I just thought it was crazy. So I, I nothing I would want to do, but I just want to hear your take on it. Cause I haven't talked to you since you did it. Right. And if I may, I do want to follow up because I feel like I may have deterred people, but they do have, there are three parachutes in total that are on, that are strapped onto you and this other fellow. So there's one that 
you have one parachute, he has another parachute, and then there's one that will automatically go off if there is not a parachute pulled by, I believe it's 4,000 feet or you know oh, something like that. It's like that. an altitude so kind of reading? Exactly. It reads all of that, and there's a something that cuts it when it's in there. It automatically does it if it's not pulled by a certain altitude. So there are a lot of fail-safes, and uh, I do recommend anybody who's interested in doing it, try it out. And you went Vermont? Vermont, yeah. It's operated by the Malone Parachute Club, mm-hmm. but it was struck down in Malone um, for political reasons. And uh, and so the Malone Parachute Club just operates out of Burlington. Oh, so that must have been where my sister went. Because she just did it like a month, probably with a couple weeks before you did it. Oh, wow. So it was okay. recent, yeah. Yeah. So I saw her video and stuff. It was cool. But like that's what I was thinking. Like, isn't there a guy that just like flies down in front of Because of course you don't see the guy videotaping. He's taping you, but you're right. like... Well, obviously there's someone there yeah yeah and matter of fact i don't know if you know matt letta matt, no. Le- matt letta and his sister were there so his sister ashley went just before uh kelly and i went so it was pretty cool that's neat uh, and it was kelly's second time so kelly uh kelly passano oh gotcha yeah. yeah she's she's an adrenaline junkie for did sure did she like it she loved it yeah. she's probably i mean i'd always wanted to do it yeah. and then she was like yeah i'm gonna go back and do it i'm like dude do you mind if i join you because that sounds awesome yeah. She's like, absolutely. Uh, so it was really cool. It was cool to have somebody there to uh, who had already been through it, could kind of tell you what to expect. Yeah. Uh, so it was cool. That's. I, th- I think my adrenaline now is is, uh, is skiing. That's what I get out. Do you yeah. ski? I snowboard. Snowboard? Do yeah. you like consistently? Like do you, is it still something you pick up on? I do it every year. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, you know, minimum of twice a year to maybe six times in a good year. Okay. But, so yeah, you're, you're kind of, last year was the first year I kind of went more than once so i'm kind of probably in the same boat as you but it's fun like you go up we usually go up early in the morning you get a couple runs in come back and you're back by midday to work like mid late morning to work so it's kind of there's something trippy about being at the top of whiteface at like nine in the morning ten in the morning and then being like at my desk at like 12 30 it's just like a weird yeah like time works weird when you travel it's kind of like when you wake up in a a state Mm -hmm. and you fly home that day and you're like i just woke up in california this morning and now here i am in new york and it's just like it's a weird I don't know. I always look, and I don't know if other people do that, but you just kind of look at the, the travel because it doesn't take that long to really travel. You do a lot in a day, and it's just funny when you look at it. It's like, oh, I just I had breakfast this morning like across the country, and here I am today, and it's just, I don't know. It's always kind of a mind trip. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I wanted to get your take. Golf tournament. What was your thoughts? I, it was honestly... Go ahead. Cause I, no, I want, I, want to hear, I want to hear your thoughts. Cause I, I think I told you. I told uh, Whedon as well. It was the best golf outing I had had all summer. And I had some pretty, I had a lot of golf outings this mm-hmm. summer. Um, but I had a great time. I think more, and, and aside from the golf, but complimenting the golf was, I knew of a lot of these people. Yeah. But I really got to know several of them on a more personal level. Yeah. Which I thought was great. So a couple of things, um, besides the fact that you picked up, you were 3-0. and which I, I didn't, didn't realize. realize that. Actually. Yeah, you were three and zero. So yeah. um, there was only a couple guys. You, I think Ryan Lee was three and zero. Jared on our team went three and zero, and I think Alec Adnaha from our team went three and zero. So there was some good playing, but it was uh, there were certain guys that because I we had ran in the park, like literally ran into you in the parking lot, and I was like, we've already put this out, but we're kind of waiting on getting names back. Like, do you want potentially want to play? And then you're like. I laugh because you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm in, but you were on the phone. I don't think you knew what you were signing up for. You're just like, yeah, I'll play golf that day, whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was great because you're just like, yeah, whatever, I'm, I'm in. Like, as long as I don't have to work, I'm in. So 
Um, there was a couple guys that played in this that either I have not played golf with or I played golf with, but I wasn't sure, you know, were they going to be into it kind of deal. Every single person that played in this tournament, like, got into it. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. And the thing was, and this is what we've been talking about, you know, kind of planning for next year is, one, this is going to be better than next year. Because this was the first year we went from me and Matt playing to 16 people. And then really kind of factoring in how do we do it next year where I know a lot of these people will probably want to play. I'm mm-hmm. sure yourself included. And then we kind of... Look. I have a spot, Galen. Yeah. So basically <laughs> what we're doing is we're opening it up to the, these 16 people. Like if you want in, you're in. Mm-hmm. Just because honor system, like you were there last year and then obviously we'll fill in when we need to. We might expand it slightly to add more people. But the one thing we don't want to ever lose is the format. Right. Because if it goes to a scramble, it's a tournament. It doesn't right. count. So the fact that we could do it this way was really fun. So, uh, But you, I, I thought were phenomenal in it um there's some there's some guys i was just like they're they're really in it but they're like a good ambassador for the tournament like just want to do it right want to have fun doing it for like you kicked my ass in like two of the three matches and honestly it was uh well i didn't play you in the first so you were two and oh against me but like i i just had fun and it was kind of a tournament that like if you were on the tee and hit a good shot i'd be like you know, get on the grid. Like we were still rooting for each other because we're just right. like guys playing golf. We all we're yeah. all just like you know recreational golfers. So when a, when someone pulls off a good shot, no matter what team they're on, you're like that's good, like good shot. That was right. great. And fist pumps and stuff. And I think I think the uh, the feeling around most of the tournament for most of the people was very it was it was done as a collective. Even though there's teams, it was still done like hey, we want everybody to have fun. We're raising money for kids. We raised five grand, which was incredible. You did yeah. a fin- you were probably our biggest. Uh, one of our biggest uh, donation getters, so which was great. And cool. next year we want to focus a little more on that because I, I'm terrible at that stuff. We got to tweak that a bit. But like, what was your favorite part of the tournament? I think I, I love the format. The format yeah. was great um, because it it facilitated you getting to know more people, right? So it reverted back to that. It allowed you to play. I had never played those, so alternate shot. Mm-hmm. I have done in a tournament before, but. Um, Oh my God, I'm struggling. The four ball. The four ball was like the, your best score. Yes. Of the two. Yep. And then what was the other way that we did it? It was just singles. So singles, four, sorry, yeah. foursome is alternate shot. Right. So the middle column is alternate shot. Right, right. And then the singles was interesting too. I never, I've never really like played anyone heads up like that per yeah. se. You know what I mean? So it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the alternate shot was, was a lot of fun and uh, yeah, it, we were really blessed with a beautiful day too. I yeah. think that played a lot in you know just raising the spirits of people. So we uh, that's always the hard part because we've done it the last two years on Columbus Day weekend, which is a great time to do it for people for the most part. But the problem is again, it's what weather dependent. So right. we could pick a date in August. The problem is trying to do this in August towards the end, like end of the year is when they do the Ryder Cup anyway. So it's kind of fun to have this be like the end of the year, mm-hmm. which I do like that, you know, obviously we, last year was a little colder. It was still, it didn't rain. Which is, as long as it's not windy and rainy, it's fine. It can be a little chilly and that's okay. Um, but it's, it really is a coin flip on the date we play. Yeah. So we had a rain date the following yep. week, just, you know, kind of give us another shot. But I think if, I think we'll probably still kind of stick towards the October date because it's for, I think for most people it's kind of their final chance. I've hit the range once since just for fun. And right. a couple of people I know have played once or twice, but a lot of people that was it. They were done. So it's kind of a fun little culmination of, of the season. And hopefully people are playing the best at that point. You've had all year basically to get your bad shots out of the way. Yep. And uh, 
So no, it was good. Um, so how long have you been playing golf? I mean, my dad introduced me to it when I was young. Uh, growing up in Malone, we were pretty blessed with a, a two 18-hole championship courses, which mm-hmm. were, were nice to play on. So I took lessons back then. I don't really remember them, sadly. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I've been playing since then. Uh, I would say I really started to pick it up my junior and senior year of high school. I played a fair amount. At Malone, we could get a membership for like 200 bucks. Yeah, it's that great. Great. And and then when I got into, when I graduated college, because I, I traveled a lot in between college too. So post-graduation, so 2010-ish, 2011-ish is when I really got into it. But the past three years have been starting to really analyze my golf game from friends who are much better than I am mm-hmm. and uh, and try to play a more strategic golf game. And that will be dependent on which course I'm at also, you know, not, not that I'm really good or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I'm average and, but I want to become better. So I think it's one of those games too. We played sports our, our whole life. Like golf's the one sport as you get older, you can still get really good. Absolutely. And that's the thing I love about it. So I, I played as a kid, basically from 10 to 19, I played a ton, 20 to probably honestly last year, maybe I didn't play much and I kind of kick myself a little bit that I didn't play more in my 20s because um, I was pretty good back in the day and then, you know, just working kids and stuff. So now I'm really p- putting focus on go out like go out once or twice a week, maybe sneak out to the range once or twice like early in the morning and just hit, you know, a couple ball or buckets of balls. Um, I was a big practice guy when mm-hmm. I – I love hitting the range. Like I almost have more fun hitting the range sometimes than because you just can hit shot after shot versus like hit, walk into – and like I love playing golf obviously but right. – you don't get better playing golf. You get better practicing on the range is going to get you better. And then you go play golf. And it's like, try to fix a swing when you're hitting a driver five times around or, Hey, I got to practice my wedges. Well, you might only hit a full wedge five times or six times or eight times around, but you're not going to get good at it. You just, right. um, so what do you play in a week roughly right now? I mean, or you were, I mean, obviously. yeah, th- this summer it, it, it changed right during, during the, the heart of COVID, you know, there yeah. really wasn't anything to do. So we played golf. I was playing three times a week. Um, then as the summer kind of towards the end, I'd say August, I was playing once a week, you yeah. know, but once boating season really hit, um, I think I told you that, you know, we were out on the lake every nice day that we could get. And, uh, I would try to golf early in the morning and then go out on the lake after that. Um, so I would say, you know, on average one to two times a week, if you take the four months of the time so how long you been into boats uh last year my my roommate has one Mm -hmm. and so we would go on it and then i was like you know what i think i want to get one myself (laughs) it was a big commitment big decision because i'm pretty pretty frugal with my money what kind do you have uh mine's a 2001 four winds okay Um, it's a a cuddy cabin so 18 19 feet it's actually 23 and a half oh it is so it's longer but it has uh, an additional swim deck that probably adds another three feet. So oh, it's, it's oh, a good size boat. Yeah, 26, 27 feet. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, boat standard. That's pretty. Right. I think anything over twenty is considered a pretty pretty yeah. long boat. To go from a sea dew to yeah. a twenty-seven foot boat. Yeah, it was quite the transition. Let me tell you. So, do you travel a lot, or you just kind of go dock and just kind of like a, a dock and float guy, or you just travel, go go up and down the lake? I would say that we're kind of a float group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think personally where I have the most fun is when you tie up with, 
you know, nine, 10 other boats. Yeah. And then you party barge. Yeah. It's basically a party barge. And cause you get to very much like the golf outing, you know, you get to see people that you haven't seen in a while. Mm -hmm. You become closer with people that you, you know, only knew vicariously prior to. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've met a lot of, a lot of people become better friends with them and, uh, it's turned into a kind of little community. Well, the thing is up here, it's like, we get only a couple months of summer, but the summers are so nice up here that mm-hmm. like that, that's the greatest thing. And I, I never, I really had the opportunity to do it. I'm hoping when the kids get a little older, maybe, you know, take them out or if we have friends that have, you know, won't be as bad because the kids can play in the water and go on the beach all day. And then, you know, you can hang out with other friends and relax and not to, you know, kind of hang out in the nice weather. But yeah, boating, floating and, and the floating idea, I think I like, I like yeah. traveling, but I can only go so fast for so long. I'm to the yeah. point now, like, I don't want to hit waves. I want to go on right. a nice night where it's smooth as, as glass. And exactly right. I'd rather just sit there and have a, have a couple of drinks and yeah. wear, that, my, wear my sunscreen. That was, uh, we would we would call it like a midnight cruise. We went out, I can't tell you how many times we'd go out at 11, 12 o'clock at night. Really? To, dude, if you it's, have not done it's that. Glass. It's, it's glass. It's glass on yeah. a beautiful night. And like a warm moonlight. Su- yeah. I mean, it's... Warm it's, summer nights are the best. It's incredible. You just go out there, you hang out with some friends and... Oh my gosh. Yeah. The memories, but it was a lot of fun. Boating is expensive. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, so it's kind of more economically feasible to float. That's exactly right. So, you know, the, the less time you're spending traveling, you know, my boat's not a boat that you're going to go, uh, you know, 60 miles an hour in it. Yeah. Mine at most is going to go 40 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even need to do 40. Uh, a lot of people that I ride with, my family, when I took them, they're like, if you go above 10, we're going to have a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a cruise. Cruising, have fun. And and you can't really talk to people when you're going that fast either. No. And that's the whole part of it is the communication, the the bonding, the community building. It's, uh, yeah, that's cool. Like one of my favorites is just a pontoon. Well, originally and, that's what I thought I was going to get yeah. was a pontoon. Pontoon's the best. Yeah. And then I came across this, you know, the, my buddy gave me a pretty decent deal on it and, uh. And I kind of just fell in love. I liked the idea of the cuddy mm-hmm. because I said, you know, I've never slept out on a boat. I slept on that boat at least 15 times this year, Yeah, which was cool. You know, I get, I woke up one morning to a bass the, when that fishing tournament was in town. Oh, yeah. 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 That guy was coming in and around the boats and he was literally, he's what woke me up. He's sitting there with his, his, uh, AirPods in. And he's talking while a guy is filming him and he's, you know, he's got bass masters all over his boat and stuff. So I pop my head out of the little <laughs> hatch and this guy looks at me like, what is going on over here? And I'm like, bro, you just woke me up. <laughs> it was funny. The, uh, yeah, I, I've slept in a boat one time ever and it wasn't bad because it, like you're floating. So it kind of like puts you to sleep. It's just yeah. this like rocking it's motions. Like that's why like kids or dogs or people and people in general you can fall asleep quick on a boat no, no matter how fast unless you're hitting some rocking waves but um yeah no i just i thought the boat the boat thing was kind of cool um so the business you're in the 518 gadget fixes mm-hmm. what got you into that like what I, I, tell what it people what it is first off okay yeah so uh 518 gadget fixes we repair small electronics primarily focused on phones um ipads Tablets, uh, depending on the tablet, uh, I'll be honest, I'm pretty narrow in what I do just because of my work schedule. I've really kind of, uh, decided that I don't want to get into too much of it because I'm already overloaded. So I don't want to, uh, just stretch myself way too thin. Um, so primarily phones, Samsung, Apple, 
Um, I do other models as well, but those are the two most popular. So I just tend to do a lot of those. Um, screen replacement, battery replacement, cameras, rear glass replacement, charging ports, uh, speakers, you know, pretty much anything that's inside of a phone. I can take it apart, rebuild it, do whatever you want to do, do customizations. So what's the learning curve on that? Is so, it- yeah, I mean, I think that it's, if you, it's just like anything, like if you're a mechanic, you know, taking things apart, as long as you're organized mm-hmm. and uh, understand and then do the research behind the scene as far as, okay, this part does what, this works with what, how can I manipulate this part to where I'm one, not going to do any further damage and, and actually fix it properly. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you see the, I've seen the evolution in myself as a technician and, and how I utilize my hands and my fingers to hold screws and tighten screws. And it's pretty interesting, but how I learned was 2014. I was working at Texas roadhouse. I was waiting tables. I had an iPhone four screen busted. Um, another friend of mine, had another iPhone four and she's like, yeah, this one just stopped working. So a friend of mine referred me to this guy. He came to Texas roadhouse, picked up the phone. He's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I think I can fix it. He's like, how about this? I won't charge you anything. You give me this phone. I'll bring you back yours fixed. And I was like, deal. So he comes back the next day, brings it to me. It's good as new. And uh, we started talking for a few minutes and I had like a bunch of, you know, the old flip phones and stuff that I didn't want to just throw in the trash. Mm -hmm. So I was like, here, man, you can have these. He's like, I appreciate it, but honestly, those are no good to me. So he, he, we started talking for a few minutes. He's like, you know, you seem pretty ambitious. He said, uh, are you interested in another job? And I was working four jobs at the time, bartending, waiting tables, refing, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, thank you. And uh, he kind of just pressured me a little bit. He's like, listen, he's like, come with me, meet me at Starbucks tomorrow morning. We'll do a phone repair. If you like it, cool. If you don't, no big deal. So I said, okay. Uh, I met him at Starbucks. We did an iPhone 4 screen replacement. It took about an hour and a half. Uh, the profit was $35. He let me keep it. He just sat there, watched me, and told me what to do the whole time. Was, he's like, so what do you think? I was like, hmm, all right. You know, that's not bad. It's basically worked out to about 20 bucks an hour. Um, you know, it was easy when I had him telling me what to do right there. So he said, why don't you take the next, you know, few months, start researching, learning, putting it out to your friends, family, that you are gonna start doing this, buy some phones, practice on them. So that's what I did, bought phones. Uh, My dad broke his screen not long after, uh, attempted to fix his, took me six tries. So it was a a costly venture, but it was education and a Mm -hmm. cheap education in the long run. Hundreds of hours of YouTube videos and just learning, teaching myself things and uh, trial and error. And six months later, I said, you know, I think I'm ready to start taking customers. This gentleman, he, uh, his name was Ben. He was business partners with a gentleman named Matt Parks, who's a local guy. Uh, Matt moved to Vermont, so they had a, a joint business together. So basically, Ben had a wife and a child and a full-time career, so he was just looking to get out of it. So he started filtering all of his, um, his repairs to me, and, uh, and so then I became business partners with Matt. And, uh, and that's how I started 2014. And, uh, and then Matt and I just, Matt kind of, he's a bank manager, so he doesn't really do it anymore to my knowledge. And, uh, we went our separate ways and, and now I do this. Uh, I mean, I have my personal business with 518 gadget fixes, but then, uh, what I got into was a contract with a a couple years ago. 
So Assurion is the insurance provider for your major carriers, AT&T, Verizon. If you have insurance on your phone through uh, Sprint and T-Mobile as well, and they're also trying to line it up with Total Wireless and Cricket. So if you have insurance through any of those companies, basically Assurion has hired this company, uh, U-Break iFix, which is a national company. Mm-hmm. Uh, U-Break iFix then hires independent contractors like myself, or I'm an independent contractor for them, and they do it based on territory. Um, so I have a boss, and they run basically the East Coast. And I'm certified for basically a 50-mile or 60-mile radius around Plattsburgh, um, and then there are other technicians that are outside of that. Uh, fortunately, but also unfortunately for me in this area, I'm the only technician. Yeah. So for a, a large geographic territory, uh, I cover that. It's good because people from Malone, my hometown, they'll they'll set up repairs. They'll use a Plattsburgh address and they'll come out here and have it done, which is excellent. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's what the, it is there for is to take advantage of that. Um, but it also stinks for people who are outside of that territory who aren't familiar with this they have to pursue other options through their insurance which is basically paying 200 bucks for a screen uh, a device replacement so how how uh, in a roughly in a week how many repairs can you make so through, i don't want to say per day because i know it's sure kinda... yeah it, it totally varies um but through the insurance company i would say that on average i'm doing six to eight repairs a week Okay. Um, through my personal business, I would probably say approximately the same. So it, you know, but that can go up or down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done as many as 12 repairs in a day. Uh, but that's, you know, trying to merge repairs for the week into one day. So then I have a couple of days free. Yeah. And, um, and some of these, like if you're repairing like the glass on a, like if I crack, I have a screen protector on my phone, which I think is crack a thousand times i don't think the glass is actually cracked right if you can replace the glass should it crack on an iphone right uh the tempered glass i can replace both yeah well so, i mean through take out the screen like i think that's the tempered gra- glass you're talking about the tempered glass is on top yeah that's the part that you i think you said is cracked yep. on yours yeah we can replace that uh pretty easily and then the actual screen of the phone yes we replace as well um are you 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 have a case on your phone right i do yeah I, i'm always i have i've always had a case on my phone but it's crazy. Some of the, like the people that don't, the people that just, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it, it just stresses me out. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, man, cause I've dropped, I drop my phone every other day at least. And it's mm-hmm. never cracked the screen. Luckily, knock on wood that whatever case I have on there has actually done a great job, but I always get so stressed out when I see people with nothing on them. Like, how do you walk around every day? I just have my phone on me too much and I'm constantly like, don't care about, it. you know, I may care about it, but I don't. It's just like, it's, it's like a side, uh, pull out of my pocket it falls i have it on my book it slips off and i'm like not thinking where it is um so do you get like what's the extreme on a phone have you ever gotten stuff or just like listen just go get a new phone yeah i mean most of the time that's liquid damage mm-hmm. um i have actually found a guy who does liquid damage repair he's able to do it but it's not it's not guaranteed Right. So you're talking about liquid, like it falls in water. Water, water. Yeah. Don't they have some phones now that are supposed to be immune to that? Uh, everything. Like said, rumor. Yeah. All the new ones are saying that they are water resistant or liquid resistant. Yeah. But a lot of people translate that to waterproof, and that's not the case. And some people have said that they're like just sort of a thing of rice. And I'm like, I don't know if that really <laughs> takes all the stuff out. That I mean, it happens such for some a, things, but like such a myth. But it's it's coincidence because I've seen it, people stuff it in rice and two days later, they're like, Oh, it's working perfect. The miracle rice. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I understand the, the concept or the logic behind it. The, the rice is going to pull the water out of it because it absorbs it. And I'm like, well, how many times do you take that rice out and it's soft because it has water in it? Never. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not literally draining the water out of there. Yeah. Um, the best thing to do is if you have liquid damage, you drop it in water, whatever, get it to a technician and they can take it apart and first of all, try to drain any waters in there. You'd be surprised two weeks later, I open up a phone and there's still puddles of water sitting in there. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's just short circuiting all those. What, what about software? Is it, you just, you're more hardware. Of this phone more right? hardware. I've picked up some software, you know, tricks uh, along the way, but I really try not to get into it because I feel like, you know, you're constantly chasing that, you know, what it could be. And then you get down a dead end road and you've got three hours into this phone and it's not fixable. And, you know, I don't charge customers unless I fix their devices. So, yeah. um, you know, for both of us, uh, I, I'm trying to, you know, I don't want to get three. Technically, you know, we say we charge $50 an hour as our going rate. A lot of times I don't do that. You know, I mean, I might have two hours into a phone. The part costs $100 and then you're looking at $100 in labor. I don't really hit people with that unless I have to. Mm -hmm. um, some of the parts are, they cost $200, $250. Yeah. And, you know, I usually just tack on a 50 or $60 labor fee. Um for that what uh is it easy to get parts you have like I mean, vendors or do you have to like go yeah we go through we go through cycles right because yeah. everything no matter what anybody tells you those parts are coming from china yeah okay so everything's coming from china um so during covid you could see how much of a mess that was supply was low demand was high um so prices jumped um not only that but you had these worries of the COVID thing. So you really had to look into whether that business was properly sanitizing, things of that nature. So those were big things that we had to contend with. Um, they used to have distributors within the US, but they had two and I believe three years ago they shut down. Um, so Apple will not, you can't buy Apple product. You can't, unless they're a certified Apple technician or you know business, you're not gonna get Apple product. Um, the that's the, another reason why the insurance is good because insurance, they are giving you the best parts that you can get and your deductible to do a screen replacement through the Assurion insurance is $29. No matter what, that's at Verizon. AT&T charges 49. So it, that's whether you have Apple or Samsung. Um, so legitimate Apple products, I cannot provide them to you. Um, so you would have to go to an Apple store or something like that. Now I stand by all of my products. They do have a warranty on them. So if there are any other issues that it gives you, then we warranty that. Um, and it does happen. You know what? I'm not, it's technology. It's mm -hmm. a, <laughs> they're electronic. Well, like how would you fix an Apple phone though? You'd have to, you'd have to request the parts or the, the, like I, if my Apple phone broke, brought it to you, you'd, I'd ha you'd say, Hey, listen, I need these parts. I would order them. Uh, or okay. So I fully stock my inventory. Yeah, so I stock oh, my inventory. Gotcha. Right now I'm sitting on pretty much five screens of every model phone. Um, I keep that inventory at all times. So that way when you come to me, as a matter of fact, I mean, I shouldn't say this on air, but why do you think I was late coming to you? You know, I had somebody mm -hmm. walk in my door at 20 after one. I fixed her screen two days ago. She comes to my door and because uh, I do by appointment only, but she knew where I live. Yeah. So she comes, she knocks, she's like, my kid dropped my phone. And I was like, oh, no. I said, listen, I have like 20 minutes. I will try my hardest to get this done for you. I got it done for her. 
at a sacrifice for being late. That's, too, all, so that's all right. I apologize. But, I just um, figured you were down hanging out down there. <laughs> I mean, I did do that for a few minutes too, admiring <laughs> the view. But, um, but yeah, so it's you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to see. I've seen phones um, that have come to me. They're basically split in half. It's of no use. You know, liquid yeah. damage. It's if it's been salt water, anything that's going to like really corrode it. You, you move on. You know, what? I've had phones come to me. Urine has a very unique smell. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to throw like that out there. little kid or pets? Uh, I'm not going to throw people out there, but um, urine has a very unique smell. So when people are playing with their phones and dropping in the toilet. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was, yeah, that's, so that's always something I've like worried about, like dropping a phone in a bath. Like there's times if it's in, like in a hoodie or something, you go to the bathroom, it's like on the side or something mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you bump it. Like the amount of times I like go into a bathroom and I have it like public restroom and like I'm gonna put that in my back pocket. Yep, it's safer there. If it mm-hmm. falls, at least it's gonna bounce away. Um, so, is there a? Th- so here's the thing. I paid off my phone like a, two months ago, and I'm, 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 and I think you probably are gonna I agree know with me. What you're gonna say, yeah. I think Apple just knows when your phone. They got a new phone that came out. I love Apple. Like I'm not gonna buy another phone. So they got me hook, line, and sinker. But there's got to be something to. Is it a myth or is it true that things just like they can program when this thing starts breaking. Because I, it's almost, I usually get a phone every two years. This one might be going on three years. And it's substantially, there's a lot of issues that have, have come up in the last two months, which is very ironic considering I just paid off my actual phone. And now I'm starting to have all these problems. And I'm like, and a new phone just came out. And I'm like, listen, do I got to go buy this new phone now? Mm-hmm. Well, can I prove it? No. Do I agree with you? Yes. And and actually, they had a big thing in the news, and then I believe it was within litigation, uh, that Apple actually admitted to doing that, basically. Um, that after a certain amount of time, they would cause, and they do it through their software updates, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will, will download the beta version of the update before it actually comes out, and that's for testing purposes, and then it'll brick their phone so they can't use it any longer. And Apple's not responsible. You took that upon your own risk. But furthermore what are the most common things that you see when a new phone comes out, right? Your battery is a little bit bigger, more efficient. Your processor is bigger, better, faster. Um, your cameras are bigger, better, more, better quality. So those are the main things that you see. You're going to see small cosmetic type differences or, you know, things of that nature. Um, but they're improving those things. And when you do that, the software is then built to fit that new processor. So for example, let's say we have an A12 processor in the iPhone 12, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And an iPhone 7, you know, I don't even remember what processor. I I have an iPhone 8. Right. So that's probably the problem. An iPhone 7, an iPhone 8, that processor is not designed to handle that type of software. Uh, Unlike the iPhone 6s, you had like maybe three to four gigabytes that were actually being used for software right? Your gigabytes, if you had a 16 gigabyte phone, four gigabytes was automatically being used for your software. Now it's approximately 16 gigabytes that's being used just for your software, which Mm -hmm. is why they have to update or upgrade those. The space. Yeah, the space, but the, um, the chip that's in there. So the processor. And, um, so, I mean, it, it makes sense. You know what I mean? You're not going to put, uh, one of these, 
I don't even know. I'm not a mechanic. I was going to try and make a comparison, but that's <laughs> not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> not going to work. But you Stay can't put lane, something yeah. from new age technology into a 1925, you know what I mean? It's not going to work. So, so now, do you know much about the iPhone 12? I don't know a whole lot. Um, Isn't there something new with like the, the cords and stuff? Every time, the, every time the phone comes out, they say there's like new adapters you need. And like I know when this phone came out, there was no, uh, maybe not this one, maybe it's 11. Port. Or excuse me, there's no auxiliary port for your headphone connection. I think, yes. And then you had to have the dongle and now, mm-hmm. so that was this one, but I think they said the new one, there's something else you have to buy or it doesn't have, maybe I'm, I haven't I looked think. at it, but. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't do a lot of research on the, on the newest phones because yeah. I don't buy them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm the same. Like my next one, I'd probably get, I might actually just go for an 11 versus the 12. Yeah. Everybody likes the 11 that has right. it. I mean, I usually give it. Uh, my phone now is the newest model apart from the 12. It's the 11 Max Pro. Okay. But I buy it secondhand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are enough people, enough connections that I know people who are, you know, it is what it is. When COVID happened, people get behind on their bills, whatever, uh, and they need to sell things for cash. So I I got mine with a pretty good deal uh, from a buddy of mine. And uh, But I don't look into the newest model phones because I just, I wheel and deal so many of them that uh yeah. It doesn't make sense for me to go and purchase a, a $1,500 phone. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I'm always, that's, I'm kind of curious on, but it's like my phone just keeps acting up to the point where I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to hold out. I don't need a new phone. Like I'm good. Right. Like I'm, I, I can do what I can I need to do on that, but they, they force my hand every couple mm-hmm. years. So, um, the other thing was I bought, speaking of like secondhand, I I told, uh, I told Alec this too, was I bought golf clubs. I've never heard of, I bought used golf clubs for the first time this year. And have you ever done that before? I bought first my first set of new golf clubs for me. I used the same clubs for 15 years, mm-hmm. and they were from 1994. Um, last year, I bought the same thing, used. Used. And it's yeah. incredible, depending on what site did you go through, or did you buy it from someone else? I actually went through Golf Galaxy down in Buffalo. Really? Okay. A random, random splurge, yeah. No, that's fine. So we one uh, on this website. It's called 3Ball. Okay. It is great. It's like a consignment shop for golf clubs. But right. so they went in and I bought my driver. So I bought the, and I had to like relearn the technology of golf clubs because mm-hmm. I, I, I nerded out in golf clubs years ago and then got away from it. So the M5 driver, yeah. which I've heard like the M whatever, and I didn't know anything about these drivers. So I did a lot of research. So I bought the M5 driver and they have, you can obviously buy new. Then they have almost new and they have like awesome like, I don't know, they have all these different criteria. There's basically six different criteria, meaning one is like the worst one you can get, I think is poor. And then it's like bargain, meaning it's like probably nicked up, but you can still play with it. So I got one that said like new. So they read the description and it was almost a hundred dollars. Well, actually with like the coat, the discounts they give you, it was over a hundred dollars off this club. And I was like, this is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. I said, it's used, whatever. And they said, you might not be able to tell that it was a used club, but it is. I got it. The wrapping was still on it. It literally was like someone had swung it probably in like a Dick's Sporting Goods like off a tee. Never hit a ball. Just swung it in like the cage and they considered it um, used at that point. Right. I had I took the plastic off this club and it was That's I was crazy. like, this is insane. And uh, so if you ever need a club, they're very – and you can get even like – I got it. My hybrid was like kind of like the – it was considered awesome, which was like the f- – third one down from the top or whatever mm-hmm. and it was like half the price of what you normally pay and there was almost no blemish on it I'm like this is because they just spend time cleaning these things right and they're great and someone might have used them for like half a season didn't like it turned it back in or whatever or like you know someone got like wife got the husband the wrong club and he turned it back in so yeah i don't know it's just something to think when you're talking about like used phone i'm like there's a lot of like good stuff you buy it second hand it's like 
Absolutely. Considering how bad I am, it's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, same, brother, same. I actually, I bought the same driver that I had. Uh, I let my buddy's son use my driver. He took it out. His second swing, he snapped the head on it. <laughs> so this was my one and only driver that I had. So it was a, a Galaxy... Oh my God, I'm talking phones here. It was a Ping G. Ping G driver. So when I went and bought these irons, I'm, I'm a Ping fan. I, I've yeah. hit Ping, I've had Ping. So I went and bought the Ping G irons. So then I bought the Ping G driver again. I got it for 160 bucks used and it had the scuff on top. Mm-hmm. Whatever, I don't care about yeah. that. And uh, yeah, I was 900 bucks for... Driver, four through wedge, and then uh, a brand new putter as well. The putter was the most expensive thing. That was two hundred and fifty bucks yeah. for a brand new putter. What kind of putter do you play? Uh, it's a ping. Also, I can't remember. Oh, which, okay. exactly okay. which one. Yeah. The uh, like this is the first year I have almost my besides like six irons in my bag. It's almost the same set. It's a brand new set. I mean, I haven't bought brand new clubs in like twelve years. Wow. So it was kind of cool. It was like it's yeah. nice to like finally get some. Especially technology changes so much. Like so I'm much. sure when you bought 15 year old clubs and it went from the '94, whatever yeah. you were playing back then, Wilson Staff or whatever, to yeah, um, Ping Zing Twos. That's is that what, what they were? Yeah, I got them from Steve Farrell. Really, it's Ping Zings. Yeah, I remember the I remember the name. Yeah, I, I'm looking at if I get new irons, I may look at getting the Pings. I've heard a lot of people play Pings and they really like them. So mm-hmm. I just need the irons. I don't need anything else. But mm-hmm. but then I'm also a, I was always a TaylorMade fan growing up. Yep. And I went away for TaylorMade for this last set of clubs. I got Mizuno irons, and I went away from the driver, which was a sin. I should have never done that. But now mm-hmm. I'm back, so I got to get. We'll see. Um, so um, now, with like running, you know, you're kind of a small business, being like a jack of all trades. Like, how do you manage everything in a day? Like, what's your, what's not, your not well, not well? Because <laughs> I mean, just you're you're one of those guys that I've seen. Anywhere and everywhere. Like, you know, you bounce around. Obviously, you have a couple different jobs. And, you know, between... Um, I forgot who I was talking to about... I'm drawing a blank on who it was. But they were talking about refing. Like, it, it takes... it takes. Actually, no. I think it was, I had this conversation with, with Lozier. Not on the podcast. But just, off, like, talking about what you actually have to do logistically just to plan all the refing stuff. So, like... And I know how hard it is to run a schedule. Like, with everything you do, like, what's... How do you break stuff up between like different jobs? You know, obviously, I don't know. I just think it's, I always am fascinated by people that can like manage time with certain things. Maybe you don't think it's that good. Maybe you're like, I actually don't do well with it, but it seems like you do, a, like you're able to do a lot at a, at a fairly good level of execution and everything. I mean, I definitely try, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not really good at it. My punctuality is not very good either. <laughs> um, but it's because I'm trying to be as efficient as I can with everything. And, you know, but it's always five, 10 minutes that's overlapping. Um, I think that with, you know, my main career, obviously with corrections, it allows, it affords me the time off. And I think that is the biggest reason as to why I chose that career field, uh, the swapping capability. Mm -hmm. So that really allows me to, uh, you know, have go in, do two doubles. (laughs) I'm dead to the world for those two days, but then I have four days off for the most part. Um, Starting yesterday, I have my four days off, but I refed a soccer game yesterday. I also did six phone repairs yesterday. Um, and then I went in for a midnight shift, actually. And then I got up, I got out of work this morning, went for a hunt this morning, mm-hmm. came home, did three repairs. I'm here with you. And then I go to ref a soccer game at Beekman Town tonight. 
So, so like, and with ref, I mean, so pretty much every day you have something going on yeah. for the most part. Yeah. It's an, for me to sit home, I don't sit home and like watch Netflix. Yeah. I don't Netflix and chill, but you know, it's uh, I don't do that, but I wouldn't want to do that either. Yeah. You know, my, my time to do that is uh, when I get home from work and I've got to go back in the next morning, uh, basically I have about six hours. I'll watch Netflix for a half an hour, mm-hmm. throw on a documentary. I'll finish it a week later. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, that's my time is kind of late night and I'm just relaxing at home. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't want that lifestyle though. You know, I mean, my lifestyle is hectic and I wish it were a little bit more uh, under control, but do, I enjoy it. Do you find like, you don't, so you don't sit still well? No. Yeah. No. That's what. Very rarely. I mean, when I do, I do it well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often. Yeah. When you talk about the, the like the watching TV, Netflix, doc, like I actually have a documentary on my computer that I've been watching for a month. It's an hour and 40 minutes because I'll watch it while I eat for 10 minutes exactly. and I'll pause it. And then I'll watch it like three days later. And it's not, it's just one that I kind of just play. Like I watched the office. I've talked about that many times. Like that's just like my go-to. And usually it's like, I'm doing something while it's on. So I'm not really that's focusing exactly. on it. Cause I, I just, I lose interest very fast in watching stuff. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of YouTube videos but I'll take a 15 minute YouTube video and probably finish it in like under 10 minutes. Cause I'm just like, okay, I'm getting the gist to the next kind of part. Like, yep. I don't know. I got like ADD when I'm watching stuff, but I love learning things. So like re- whether it's reading stuff or like scouring the internet for stuff or like watching, if I'm watching a movie, I'm probably checking, researching stuff on my phone that the movie's playing because I'm like 20% on the movie, 80% on research. And I don't know yep. why, why it is, but I like learning stuff, but sitting like, I think, I go very like I go hard in the paint with work and then I go hard in the paint with like a family and then but I don't get a lot of just like sit down relax and there's a few times a year where I'm like just be nice just to have a day where I just don't do anything and I can just stop and it doesn't happen often I should give myself more opportunity to do that but it's just it's hard for me yeah that's I try to traveling is a passion of mine so that's what I try to do when I'm traveling Um, I mean last year I think I shared this with you when we golfed I was very fortunate. I went, I traveled to six different countries. I went on seven vacations last year. So I really, I try not to splurge in other areas. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really try to do. Um, like what, what countries did you go to? So we went to, we went to Spain. We went to Paris. Uh, I went to uh, Thailand was at the beginning of that. Um, so I guess in January, we went on a family vacation. We went on a cruise. We visited four different countries. I'm considering that in my six That's fine. That's, I would do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we went, it was 53 family members on a cruise. Jeez. Yeah. That was a lot. That's fun though. Awesome, man. Yeah. I'm very blessed to have such a great family. And this is like your immediate, this is like mom, yeah. dad, cousins. Mom. In-laws, dad, whatever. Dad, cousins, in-laws. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, a few that are a little further down the line, but at the same time, still very close yeah. to that family. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, had such a great time. And then when I went, I, in March, I went to, I went to North Carolina, visited a buddy down there in May. I went to Vegas and then in October we went to Hawaii and in November we went to Barcelona, Spain and then Paris, France. And, uh, yeah, that's cool. So it was really fun. That, that's, uh, I've, I haven't traveled 
besides going to Florida the last few years, just like kind of family vacation, like go, going to see my in-laws, my sister, I haven't been on a real long trip somewhere like Europe or anything like that in like 10 to 12 years, but it's so much fun. And Hawaii is on my bucket list. Did you like Hawaii? Loved awesome. Hawaii, I should say. Yeah, we went to the, we went to the big island and then we went to, um, uh, where did Pearl Harbor take place? I, I have no Pearl clue. Harbor. My gosh. Maui? I don't... Honolulu. Okay. There we go. So, um, I hope I said that correctly. You, 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 I, you, you, you know what? You're pretty s- certain. You sounded it, yeah. you assertive enough that I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to the big island, then we flew to, uh, to Pearl Harbor and we went through the museum, went to, so I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it or been there or anything like that, but you have the museum and then you take uh, a little boat over to the USS Arizona which was a sunken ship that is still down at the bottom. They didn't take it. A lot of them they recovered and took them out of there. This one they did not because there were so many uh, perished uh, soldiers oh. that went down. I think there were like over 900 on that ship alone that they didn't want to disturb you know, their, yeah. their tombs, if you will. And uh, so on the USS Arizona, they've constructed this thing over top of it which is a memorial. So you go over there and all of the names of people and they have, you know, these things playing in the background that are telling you the stories and whatnot. And, uh, they, there's still oil that's leaking up from there. And they say it's like the tears of the fallen soldiers. So it's a very powerful, um, experience. Well, like, Pearl Harbor's one, like, you know, Pearl Harbor Day, but it's just one of those that, I mean, that was way before our time, mm-hmm. but it, but then it's like, you take that as September 11th, like, I was, a, I think I was 12 years old, 11, 12 years old when that happened, very vivid memories of that, mm-hmm. even as a young kid, and that's something that, like, still to this day bothers me, like, I think yeah. a lot of people, it still, like, messes with them, you know, and that's, you know, you, you gotta think, like, our grandparents, Pearl Harbor was probably that for them, and but it's just, it's insane, I would like to, go, I would love to go visit it, um, it's a great experience. For yeah. Sure. And uh, Thailand. Why, why Thailand? So my brother was living in Thailand. Yeah. My brother's a private chef. So he does. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's, he, and he specializes in Thai cuisine or, or Asian cuisine, if you will. Yeah. That's Southeast Asia was really his, uh, his spot. So he, he was based out of Vail, Colorado, did a lot of uh, uh, private chef over there, contracts yeah. over there. And then he worked for Four Seasons worked for Vail Resorts, and then he decided he wanted to go to Thailand. Um, he did work for uh, for Four Seasons over in Thailand for a little while, and, uh, and then he just kind of did his own thing. He was working with some local chefs that were actually quite famous. The pot, excuse me, the documentary that I'm watching right now is Kiss the Ground. Kiss the Ground or Kiss, oh. kiss the Earth? Kiss, okay, yeah, C- kiss could the be. Ground. Kiss the Ground. Good, we'll go with it. Woody... <laughs> Harrison? Harrelson? Harrelson? Harrelson. Oh, yeah. He is the narrator of it. So check it out. It might take you a month or two to watch it on <laughs> <Yes>. your face, <laughs> but it's very good. So it's more or less about um, permaculture far- farming and how we can really kind of offset this uh, environmental situation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to use terms depending on how people feel about it, whatever, yeah, yeah. But, um, that we are in at the moment. Very unique, even if it's just for informational purposes. Very cool. Um, but. So- the one of the chefs that he worked with over there was Woody's private chef and uh, and friend as well. So is your brother into a lot of um, like I'm assuming a lot of like real good chefs are just taking like natural like what you see at like a local farm and stuff and really going after 
I mean, over in Thailand, I'm sure they have crops or whatever they cook over. I mean, I love Thai food, but obviously, I'm thinking like sawadee, which again, right. I don't know. It's I think it's good. It's authentic around here. Exactly. Yeah. So if you go to your brother might cringe at that, you know, obviously coming right from the homeland. He worked there. So actually my brother worked at Sawadi and Did then I worked at Sawadi. We both waited tables there. Really? Yeah. I, I love it. I love the cool guy is my thing. Like yeah. that's my jam. Okay. Um, but I, so does, is he one of those guys that, you know, having immersed himself in the actual country of Thailand, I mean, again, their ingredients are just better because they're there. For sure. You know, so yeah. I mean, is this, does he take a lot of, I guess, like you said, going to like local farmers and going to like the little, you know, fields of whatever they're, you know, what do they even cook with? I guess I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking, what's it's the, a lot of local ingredients. I mean, they're bamboo. Like, do they? Um, they don't do, bamboo shoot. Yeah. Yeah, bamboo shoots. Yeah. That's one thing that one of the ingredients. I mean, I'm not going to try and recite them all because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he were here, he could tell you. But he, um, he very much. Uh, there's a slow food movement over there that i mean it's kind of ingrained in their culture to my understanding is slow food you know it's not it's not we are all about fast food here in the united states where you know you if my brother's going to prepare a dinner for us it's going to be a two to three hour process because he he lived he moved back up here um when coronavirus was starting to happen he saw the you know and and so he yeah he came back up here and he actually him and his wife, uh, she's from Taiwan, actually. Okay. So, yeah, they, they got married, and um, they both moved up here. They're staying with my mom for the moment, but they put in a huge garden at my mom's house, and uh, they basically sustained themselves for the entire summer off from their garden. That's and, crazy. Uh, yeah, made us several meals, and, um, you know, he just, he really, he appreciates food for what it was, what it is. Yeah. He was... Um, he was a horticulture and botany uh, graduate from Plattsburgh State. He started, not started, but he managed the Plattsburgh State Garden when he was here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's he's very passionate about what he does. And um, and yeah, he's always eager to learn more. I, the the fact, like cooks fascinate me. Like yeah. just what they can do with food and that, like really make, like what do they got? Like an experience over just like, like I can cook and like you can cook, but it's like yeah. we make, food because necessity we have to eat it but so some of these people that really turn into an art form it's like my god you go to some yeah. good restaurant like this is i don't want to eat it it looks too yeah. good and then you taste it like this is incredible like just yeah. the technique that's something that i think when i get older i think i'm going to get into cooking yeah i think it's just one of those hobbies that like i think you can pick it up but you can really like kind of nerd out on it for sure and i think it's it's kind of a best of both worlds thing but like yeah. if i can make something on a typically like give me a weekend like a saturday night sunday night and i can just sit there and like glass of wine start cooking and just like literally prep the whole thing and just you know turn it into like a could be a two-hour process of prepping um there's nothing better than that even though you might be eating it all within 20 minutes but right. it's still the idea that you know we'll take two or three hours to make a really good meal and just taste phenomenal and then like, i think whatever it does it brings out more than like you you have a meal that's quickly thrown together you don't you don't appreciate it as much as if you take the time and you take the time people kind of slow down and really enjoy it and i think there's there's something to be said by that it doesn't happen often right now in my life but it will it, it will yeah. it will turn a curve and it will be you know won't be as much of like get food ready cuz you have kids that want to eat it's more like right. oh we can like enjoy it and really make something right. nice so um no i think that i think that's pretty cool um 
to add to that, Galen, is I think that, you know, this was my first summer where I actually planted something. Uh, I got a a few cucumbers, you know, some Thai basil. And uh, I think I got like four beans total, but I only planted a few seeds. Um, So I think that where a lot of chefs or sustainable chefs, things of that nature, they really, the way that I've always looked at it is, and I've never done this before, but I've just looked at it third party growing plants, growing food, things of that nature is I've always compared it to like kind of raising a child. Right. I know with so many differences, but you get to see it from start to finish Mm -hmm. in such a short term. So you get to see that food grow. So you appreciate it there. You appreciate the work that you put into it. And then when you're actually eating, you know, what you've created, it kind of provides a new experience. It's funny because Take uh, Matt, Matt Craig, yeah. has Open Gate Farmstead. Yeah. So Matt's one of those guys, if I went and bought eggs at the grocery store and I was to drop those eggs and they all cracked, I'd be like, whatever, I'll go eat more eggs. If I drop some of his, I'm like, what the, like, yeah. they're both eggs, yep. but his are just better and they're right from like the source where, or if somebody brings me something fresh from their garden, I want to make sure that does not go bad. That's right. Where if I let, you know, broccoli or green beans or something from the store and I forget to cook them, they get mold and I throw them out. If I do that with someone that actually brought it from a farm, I get so mad that I'm like, why... I'm like, I like literally get upset. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I can go buy another thing of beans. But just the idea that it seems like in my head that more was put into that than it was into, and it probably was, but it's still the idea that I have way more appreciation for what people grow where they bring you fresh herbs. And it's like, it looks incredible. Like there's a girl I know, um, I don't know if you know Anna Hewitt, but she's a very, she listens to this. So Anna, if you listen to this shout out, um, <laughs> she, she does a lot with like, she's like, like a herb, cooker or something in her house where she like grows these she has like almost like a greenhouse in her house that she yeah. cooks all these little herbs and it's so crazy because then she'll take it and make these phenomenal recipes and of course she's like she makes them look really nice so she takes photography yeah. or uh, pictures of them and stuff and they look really cool but just like the thought that time goes into that i'm like that looks amazing and it probably does taste amazing but like could she have went and bought something similar yeah but it's the the whole process because she like documents all these little things and then she'll do like a blog on it and i'm like that, that just looks great i want to eat that and yeah. Um, I don't know, again, it's just, it's a weird, it's a cool concept though. I think like stripping it down and really like fine, it's like building your own, you know, building your own table or something, you know, there's more to it than I could go buy it. But the nutritional value too, from something that you've, uh, I mean, unfortunately the factory farming that we have in this country is, uh, but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. It's, I use those are the kind of things. Those are like documentaries I really like. like uh, those are my favorite. Yeah, absolute favorite. The, the, when you were saying the guy, there was. A, have you ever watched the one about the sushi chef? So he's the world that. famous sushi chef. They have like, I don't know the Michelin rating. They would right. like rest, your brother would know about like the, the restaurants, but four or five star. He's like a, a real. He's like the highest ranking of Michelin, and he's a sushi chef. I think in like the subway station in Japan. So you think you'd have this big famous restaurant. He doesn't have this little like hole in the wall restaurant. There's probably, I think it was like six to eight stools. It take like all day to prep and it's expensive obviously mm-hmm. to go see him, but he only serves like a few people a night. And this is, I think the, in the documentary they had like, um, president Obama went and had sushi at this mm-hmm. counter. And like, it was crazy because it's just like people will pass thousands of people pass by the store, but it's like the most famous thing. Now, granted they also talk that he's doing all this stuff that, you or I wouldn't taste the difference, but like right. someone that's very trained, obviously maybe, but yeah. it kind of seemed like overkill in my eyes. But then again, it's also the idea of 
perfecting your craft so so well that it's like you've done you've made sushi better than anybody in the world and you've actually risen the standards of what sushi should be like and it's kind of a it's crazy to think about and i don't know what it was called though um but look it up it was on, it used to be on netflix i think it was last year two years ago and it was a su- sushi chef and i forgot the name of it but this it little, was its own documentary because they have like yeah. the chef's table and they have a couple nope it wasn't chef's table this okay. was its own thing and it was based on i forgot the name of it It was a weird weird name to it but um my yeah. brother would absolutely know my yeah. brother trained himself how to do sushi yeah so this was <laughs> like he would sit there and like pound on like an octopus for like a half hour to get it to like the like what I don't know what, why you'd have to do that but he does and it was just crazy to think it was there's another one I think it was called was it seven no it wasn't seven days out or maybe it was there was a documentary where they had I think it was considered the world's best restaurant it was in New York City and they got whatever this um, I think it was from Michelin also and they got this like they were they were, got this award for being the best restaurant and then they ended up redoing their entire restaurant to make it even better. And it was so crazy that they went, like, they're talking about, like, every detail you could think of in this restaurant was thought out. And it was insane, even to the point where they said, if you were to, there was something weird with, like, the engravings on, like, the dish. Like, if you were to pick the dish up, the engraving on the dish would face you so you could read it or something. Like, it was down to that much detail. Wow. Nobody would do it. But, like, right. they, they're thinking of all these little things. and. I like that kind of stuff because it's like attention, the small details small detail, yeah. that it's you like, I do like take it in my own business or like you, as you've done more and more, you know, cell phone repairs, it's how do you get more efficient and better? And you're always like, you can do it, but you finally become, you know, um, was it virtuosity of like that little, that, that motion or that movement. And it's like, right. that's what I'm always like trying in our business. Like how anything that happens, like how can I make that better? Because there was a problem there. Right. Maybe I didn't see it or maybe it was something that wasn't really my issue but or maybe I didn't cause it but I could make that not happen again even though it wasn't my issue but what do I have to do maybe to help something else in the process not, you know what I mean? Like you're always, you're always trying to look for ways to better but it's, when I look at stuff like that, like the attention, the detail of some of those people, I'm like, it's insane mm-hmm. how good you can get just even like moving the needle from here to here takes a lot of effort but they do it because they think it's worth it and it's crazy so i've seen you like when you post you'll post some things on instagram and things of that nature and Mm -hmm. um you know i I love that you put like a a little informational video out about well if you're going to list your house here are some things that you should think about Mm -hmm. less is more especially when it comes to a bathroom right yeah if you're going to show your house take a lot of the stuff that you may keep in there on a daily put it somewhere make it just look minimal um, you know, things to really like attract the eye and the aesthetic appeal to people. Well, people, and I, if people buy homes, if you go look at a home, you're most likely as a buyer, you get attracted. It's like anything else. It's like house, dating, cars, something like you're attracted first by the visual. Like mm-hmm. if, like if you're dating, if you end up dating someone, most likely you have a physical attraction to them. That's the first thing you see it before you talk to them for the most part. Same thing with a house. You look at it and you go look at the house first. What happens is if you go look at the house, you don't justify the person. The personality of the house is like, is it functional? And what's the financing going to be like for me? Can I afford it? Um, Or whatever the factors, how much work do I got to put in? Blah, blah, blah. But you're originally attracted to the visual. So the way I talk to sellers is that if you can picture your house as let's put it out, let's we're going on a first date. 
let's do our hair, let's do our makeup, let's take a shower, brush our teeth. Let's like yeah. put ourselves out in the best light because people will be attracted to that. That's and right. you want to have the most amount of people that are attracted to it. Now, I'm not going to get everybody, but you're going to give yourself the best chance of succeeding. And it's the small details, but like you said, like rearranging stuff might take a couple hours of your weekend. You don't need to go drop $5,000 on this, on new flooring right. and paint. And I was like, whoa, 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 let's, let's, no, everything's okay. We can deal with this. Like right. you got carpet. Let's, if it's really bad, we'll shampoo it. We don't have to redo the flooring. Like, right. but let's do some stuff in this house that there's bigger fish to fry. There's like the 80, 20 rule. Like 20% of the stuff we can tackle right now is going to make 80% of the difference. And you can move the needle on doing that. And a lot of it is just effort versus money and i'm not a big fan of people spending money unless you're going to see the payoff and right. very rarely in real estate are you going to see a huge payoff from big projects right. so it's kind of that and it's like it's like little it's like like you said if you're doing a, a if you're doing like a phone repair you could tell someone a quick hint that maybe it would be better for you not to tell them because we repeat business but you're like hey man here's like a little you know trick of the trade that i'll tell you and it's going to help you out like right you know don't put it in rice like pull bring to me if it's going to drip water or it could be something even simple where you're like hey i could fix that but all you got to do is buy this little thing and you're good to go. And whatever, right. I mean, this example, but keep a tempered glass on your phone screen. Yeah, exactly. Ten, a $10 tempered glass screen. You know, you can go pay 50 bucks for them at Verizon. You can go to a mom and pop shop, tech seller, myself, wherever, mm-hmm. pay 10, 15 bucks for it. And it might prevent you from a screen replacement. I'm a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. I've dropped that a million times. It's cracked. My screen's not cracked. So Tell me you don't do the, the kick save, right? Like since you're a soccer player, I do it all the time. Yeah. I, Drop my phone. I'm cradling I, it on my. The amount of stuff I kick, the, the amount of stuff I try to save by kicking, which actually puts it further away <laughs> in my life, is is uh, it's it's a true reaction. Yeah. You're Shay Z. That makes and, sense. And it, I know. I don't know if it's just like ingrained that it just you do it. I remember I used, like it, yeah, it's weird. I, it just there's some things that just don't you don't leave, and I'm still semi coordinated with my feet, which right. I still kick a soccer ball left footed. I'm not left footed, but I still can do it. Like some things you got to learn, you know, and that's. Yeah. It's like my kid, left foot. I'm like, okay, good. Well, we'll use that. We're going to practice right, but let's keep that left foot. You'll be, you'll be dangerous. So, right. especially if you start throwing lefty. So, yeah. Um, well, Adam, I think we'll end there. We'll let you uh, get off to the big game. Sounds Maybe good. get a little rest, a little R and R before you head out. <laughs> yeah. Head out to the pitch. Yeah. Um, if anybody needs to find you, how do they reach you? Uh, yeah. So I'm on Instagram. Uh, I changed it to Adam Edward Scarf just because it was easier. <laughs> I had it as I fix your phone, but wasn't really reaching out to many people. Um, Facebook is Adam Edward Scarf as well. Uh, it's pretty much my own little marketing firm. We do have a, I just kicked off a new website. It is, uh, 518 Gadget Fixes NY. So 518 Gadget Fixes NY and, uh, dot com obviously. And that's, uh, through the sun. The sun hooked me up with that. Sierra Thompson. She did a great job helping me out with that. So. Well, perfect. So if you need, if you need your phone repaired, ask Adam and, uh, I guess, or if you're out in Lake Champlain and want to float up to the party barge, you're more than welcome. Post-COVID. 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 That is it. Episode 99 of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.